What is up, everybody? We are back. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Where did I that to, come from? I don't know. I just had the wow. To do that that yeah, was uh, yeah. No, no reason to be sorry. It's all good. Yeah, it just it came out. You know, I was eating these Oreos, and I was like, "Wow, I gotta," you know, I got this this sugar rush, and I was like, yeah. "I gotta do it." And but never mind. Anyway, there you go. Well, it's interesting because it got to about six month six minutes before the show, and no AJ. Yeah, so I, I was uh, napping again. <laughs> I was napping again. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> he was napping again, and this yeah. time, this time I didn't wait. I didn't wait till like last time where it was like no. two minutes till show. No. No, no. And then uh, this time I called him about the six or seven minute mark because usually he's up by then. He's usually well, up. See- for- what ended up happening was there's a lot of snow up here. So I did, yeah. I was up all night snow, like snow blowing. And mm-hmm. I just snow blowed right after my show. And I'm like, let me lay in my bed real quick. And then all of a sudden, next one I know, I hear beep, beep, beep. Oh shit, it's Brian. I'm like, fuck, I'm late. <laughs> fuck. No, you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't like, say that stuff. This I'm is just like, a yeah. quick reminder that we have a show at seven o'clock. Yeah, I know. I'm like, it's funny because I know this. You know what I mean? It's great. I'm starting to wonder. Maybe we should do it earlier in the day. You know, I I don't know. I honestly, I'm not even gonna say anything because my luck, I'll be late then too. Well, you look like you're gonna pass out right now. Oh no, I'm good. I'm Are good. You? Yeah, like I'm you're good. you're talking like uh, somebody just smoked 14 joints. Uh, no, I haven't it. smoked yet, actually, and that's the problem. <laughs> See? Yeah, there you go. Well, there's an interesting story about that I want to share. Yeah. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I Uh-oh. guess it's depending how you're looking at it. Um, oh. Yeah, so uh, apparently um, uh, I have some friends out in the uh, Amsterdam area. Oh. That are looking to open up a cannabis store here in Canada, in Toronto, to be exact. Nice. And uh, they are interested in me partnering up with them. I'm telling you, it's 
the making money of the century right now well the store that we're the store that we are looking at is already a functioning store it's already it's already been open two years there you go and uh not to get into the numbers or anything but the numbers are very very large (laughs) very very large and uh, it's a you know it's interesting how it works because here in Canada obviously it's legalized it's been legalized for I think five or six years or maybe a little bit longer uh, but how the stores do it um, if you open a store they're only allowed certain zones in that area so certain area code or not certain area codes certain zones in amongst Toronto for when it comes to excuse me delivery. So, uh, so their biggest part of their business is delivery, mm. um, which I thought was really, really interesting because yeah, I understand people don't want to go into the stores. They don't want to be seen going into these stores. Um, so they have it delivered, but that's the, one of the biggest parts of their business. And we're wow. talking, we're not talking chump change here. We're talking a lot of money, a lot of money. So I'm uh, uh, having a meeting with the uh, the store owner this week about going forward. So, um, but uh, well, we'll send see. me some edibles. <laughs> I'll see what yeah. happens. You so know, you want I, samples? You want you know, samples first? You know, I'm not. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't do drugs. I don't smoke drugs. Um, well, you're no fun then, goddammit. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's I'm just okay. joking. Um, I, I'm not saying I've never tried it. I yeah. have. I just no. not a fan of it. No, I feel it. No, you know so, what? When it, when you first smoke, you get a paranoia feeling, and it yeah. turns people away immediately. And what they don't realize is that means you've done too much. No, it's not even that. I just don't like the coming down. Do I mean? don't like the coming down from it. Like if you're smoking, the happy, you're, hungry, the happy, yeah, hungry, well, sleepy. Well, no, it's not even that. I just don't like the coming down, and I don't like the 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 taste. Like I have to eat everything in the refrigerator or the feeling. Um, and then Why, not, a, not that, enough, not enough. Care. I have to be honest. I don't like the taste either. No. So yeah, uh, so I'm just not the right person to be doing that. But. You're an old dad. You know you no, are. You're no, an old it's not, dad. It's not bad That's at all. It's just yeah. it's not bad at all. Like I've done my things in you know when I was a kid and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You probably old. stuff You're that you no no probably <laughs> stuff that you would probably go really. I go yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, like I don't know. I just but as a business and getting I'll into tell you that what, business, smart. Yeah, smart. So. um it's uh to buy the store just and you know what to be honest it's not even buying the store it's buying the license oh the license the is ridiculous yeah. yeah yeah and we're talking we're talking a lot of lot Quarter of million yeah yeah a little bit more than that but oh uh, really because in the yeah. states it's a quarter million so yeah it's a little yeah. bit more than it's a little bit more than that and then with that being said, all the stuff that's involved in the store too, we could purchase exactly. as well. But anyways, other than that, let's get off that topic. I don't want to talk about that topic. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. So um, before we get to the show, we do have some things to talk about. Uh, do you want to start with global or do you want to start with the new shows coming to Parapost Network Central? Uh, go ahead and start with global. AJ, everyone is an old dad to you. <laughs> 
Listen, Jonathan, it's because you're an old fart, too. That's why. Oh, God. All right. Okay. You know what? You're eventually going to be there. And then somebody that's younger than you is going to be saying the same thing to you. No, I'm staying young forever. So why don't we start with, uh, why don't we start with Global? Um, uh, Very quickly. Uh, Global, the new uh, thumbnails are going to start coming out. Uh, for the teams that are going to be involved in the spring. So we wanted to show the new thumbnail. Um, And I will say, I didn't do this by myself. Aaron Hoffman helped me a little bit as well. Um, And, you know, places to put it and doing this and doing that. And I think it turned out really good. Now, this is one of the teams that's part of uh, the spring event. So uh, I am going to show it right now. So this is an exclusive for crime documentaries. What do you think? Uh-oh, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So I'm going to show it right now, as soon as I find it. And there you go. Oh, yeah. That is the new thumbnail for January. So obviously, there's a lot more there than there was in past thumbnails. But uh, we wanted to put a little more information there uh, just so people aren't contacting us. They see the thumbnail. They can see where they can go and they can sign up. And it also uh, showing uh, the places where it's going to be uh, on Facebook and YouTube. And eventually, hopefully, uh, somewhere in the near future, I will have Parapost there as well for the Parapost app, getting live streaming on Parapost. So uh, that is coming down the road. And eventually, what is going to happen, I think people, most people know about that. Um, eventually, what's going to happen is... Uh, one of the more exclusive places that it's going to be shown uh global ghost on is on parapost network the app so that's why one of the reasons why i'm getting live streaming on the app um because we'll be doing a lot of the lives on uh parapost network so that is the plan second thing um we want to talk about there's a lot of stuff going on with parapost network there is a lot more shows coming to parapost network I did have a meeting with uh, AJ last night and Matt and Raymond, and uh, we are happy to announce uh, that Outer Outer Realms Paranormal US Division and the UK Division is now going to be part of Global Ghost Hunt, and they're also going to be part of Parapost Network because they do have some podcasts, so uh, they're going to be now streaming on Parapost Network Central. But the great thing is they are going to be connected to Global Ghost Hunt as well. So we spoke to uh, Shane and Shaney last night, and yeah. we're really, really excited to have them part of Parapost Network and part of Global Ghost Hunt. So you will see them in uh, the uh, the spring. Yeah. Um, the great thing is I'm really wanting to get some – there's a Paracon out in the U.K. that I really want to hit. Um, and uh, Shaney has said – that she will represent Global Ghost Hunt at this Paracon. So hopefully we will be a vendor at that Paracon uh, next uh, September. So uh, we're looking forward to having that. We're going to hit a few more Paracons hopefully this year. But next year we'll be hitting a lot more Paracon. So uh, as we're building, as we're growing, uh, this was a plan that I had at the beginning. As we're growing, we're going to go to more Paracons. Obviously we can't go to all of them because there's so many especially in the States. Um, I think there's only like one in Canada. Um, We'll probably hit that one in Canada for sure. But the States, it's a little more difficult because there's so many that are going on. 
that obviously we can't hit all of them. So, um, yeah. So they oh, will. We be... will. Oh, we will one well, day. Oh, well, oh, we will. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. But uh, come on, uh, we'll see. We'll see. How many do you think there are right now in the states? Paracons. Oh no, there's yeah, there's more than. There's got to be close 50. to forty. Yeah. At yeah. least there's no yeah. way we could hit all forty. No, no, no. Unless no. I never want... planned. Unless I never planned to be home. Well, I mean, you don't like being home anyway, so I mean, you know, let's do it. You know what, Jonathan? I thought about that, but honestly, dude, I already have enough on my plate. <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> that. Uh, I would love to. I would love to do one in Toronto uh, because I think it would be a very, very big hit in Toronto. As far as I know, there's one out in the Windsor area. But uh, I don't know if that's still going on. But if we did one in Toronto, I think it would be absolutely huge. I would definitely do it at the Metro uh, Convention Center, where it would hold up to 300 vendors, 400 vendors it could hold. The Metro wow. Convention Center is absolutely huge. Uh, they could probably do a lot of classes uh, as well, like one-on-one classes for people that are in the business or just starting out or whatever. Um, it could possibly be huge. We do have a paracon. Uh, the uh, we do have a paracon in the in the convention center. It is the Comic Con, and it is apparently really, really, really huge. And uh, it's 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 fascinating because when you go down there, ninety percent of the people are dressed up in outfits. Wow, you know, and uh, for the uh, the Comic Con, it's uh, or oh, Comic Con, yeah, yeah, the it's, it's just people go crazy, and you'll see a lot of uh, people dressing in uh, in uh, Star Trek outfits. Mm. It, it's crazy, it's crazy. I've been downtown when it's been going on, and it's absolutely crazy. But the Metro oh, yeah. Center is um, a huge place, but I think it's anywhere from fifty to sixty thousand to rent over those three days because I've looked into it. Yeah. And uh, it's a lot of money to rent, but you could hold 300 vendors in there easy. And I've actually, I've actually done a, um, I was there for an event uh, when I, when I was uh, in this particular field, uh, we were there uh, for the company and it was really, really a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. See what you did, Jonathan. You got him on a tangent. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now let's get back to what we're about to watch because this. Well, thing is no, just be hold sticky. on. We got a little. We got a few more things. Just oh, we do. Start. Yeah. Oh, okay. I want you to talk about who you added to Parapost Network Central, who's now coming to the the page, and I think it's big. I think it's really, really big. So, my friend Andy Soar from Haunted Magazine is coming over to uh, Parapost. Um, he has a podcast with his him and his son. It's called Film Bites, and they review, obviously, movies and film. And uh, it's coming over to Parapost. Uh, the way that it's going to be done is a little bit different. I'm going to be posting it for them because the way that they have their podcast, their video part is basically run a little bit different than how we run ours. So I'm going to be posting the Parapost. Really happy that he's um, wanting to join. Um, great people, a great company, um, Haunted Magazine, if you haven't checked it out, it's a huge magazine, check yeah. it out, it's absolutely awesome, and then I also have a friend named Dylan, who is going to be also joining, um, 
I'll release the name and everything as more comes about of this, but yep. it'll be coming in the next week or so. So super yeah. happy about it. And obviously Haunted Magazine is going to be, it's going to be huge. It's going to be really, really good for Parapost Network Central. And yep. uh, hopefully they'll feature us and uh, yep. which will really get our name out there. There's another great, uh, uh, great duo coming uh, to the Parapost Network and, and their brother and sister. And her name's Haley. I, I can't remember what her brother's name is, but they have like three or four podcasts. So I don't know if they're bringing all three or four or how many they have. I know they're bringing, I, I believe they're bringing, planning on bringing two. I don't know if they're planning to bring all of them, but they're coming. Uh, there's another show coming. His name is David or Davey. He's bringing his show uh, to Parapost Network Central as well. We have another show starting in February uh, with John Curry and uh, Sebastian. You got to meet that. Did you meet them? Uh, I believe you did, right? Were you there on the, the meeting on Wednesday? that we had with them oh wait um yes i was yeah so uh they're they're coming um they're they're starting in february so we got a lot of new shows coming people and now with aj's news and outer realms usa and the uk division this play this page is going to be flying it's going yeah. to be flying and i just found out this past week andrea uh, who has a show on Parapost Network Central. I can't recall if she has her own now or she's co-hosting, but uh, she's going to be starting a radio show and real radio. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. on the air radio. Uh, yeah. So uh, they're going to be doing uh, their thing there as well, as long uh, as well on Parapost Network. But the thing with that is they're going to be shouting out Parapost Network and Global Ghost Hunt on the radio. Big time. So, That's awesome you know, too, we so. got a lot of good things coming, people, and we got more shows coming. And this page is going to be flying with shows every single day. Yes. And uh, that's what we're trying to accomplish uh, with AJ and and Matt and Dom and Raymond and Mackenzie, uh, part of the admin. Uh, we're just trying to get shows to the page so it grows, so you guys grow. So, yeah. anyways, other than that, let's go on with the show. Uh, we have a, um, I wouldn't even call this guy crazy. This guy is beyond anything that you can comprehend this guy. And I, and this guy is on the top five list of the worst serial killers in history. Oh, now behind him is Jeffrey Dahmer in front of him is John Wayne Gacy. Now. Mm. Harris Shipman was originally charged with 15 counts. And also he was charged with forgery uh, for obviously uh, forging uh, the subscriptions and, and stuff like that, that he was giving to people or the uh, paramedic or paramedic, the, the pharmacist. And uh, so he was actually charged with 15 counts, which obviously, you know, 15 counts murder, but it's suspected that he's killed over 250 people. Wow. Like, I do not, I cannot comprehend how this guy's not the number one. Yeah. Because the number one is Ted Bundy. And Ted Bundy didn't even come close to killing that many people. No. 
And so how this guy is not number one. And then obviously with uh, uh, John Wayne Gacy, then you have, uh, I believe it's H.H. Uh, Holmes. Yep. And then it's, uh, I believe it's Pedro Lopez. And then I can't recall who the second one is. Um, somewhere in there, I believe the, uh, I can't remember who the second one is. I have it here actually, because I wanted to pull it up. Um, and, uh, the second one is, let me just, Ted Bundy's first, Pedro Le Lopez is second, H.H. H. Holmes is third, John Wade Gacy is fourth, and then it's Harold Shipman, wow. and then it's, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, wow. I just, I just don't understand how this guy's not number one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. But, um, this guy, like uh, I say every week, here's another crazy one. Here's well, another guy, crazy one. This guy's beyond, yep. uh, beyond crazy. And, and he was an, he was a brilliant man. He was brilliant and he was very, uh, charismatic mm. and everybody believed he was the greatest person or the greatest doctor in their area. Yeah. And, yeah. um, surprising you know obviously surprise surprise he's not that great yeah so, right yeah but, uh, so let's get into this uh let's get into this uh documentary and it's uh i i watched some of it and uh little bits and pieces uh because there's several different videos out there of uh harold shipman but i did like this one um and that's why i got this one so why don't we get started everyone so um here we go. Ready? Go ahead. You sure? You don't look oh, ready. ready. Why are you standing oh, no. up? Oh, I'm I'm holding in a pee right now. Don't don't <laughs> don't worry. I'm doing good. Okay, TMI. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think you asked. You asked. I have here a photograph of Lily Crossley. If you'd like to look at that, just for the benefit of the tape. Dr. Shipman's eyes are closed, and we didn't look at the photograph at all. Harold Shipman is Britain's most prolific serial killer. A well-respected doctor, he abused his position of trust, poisoning over 250 patients. I've been advised to scan, and let you take a photograph, and then go away. If a bomb had gone off, there wouldn't be as many victims. To start off with, we're investigating one death. Within a couple of weeks, that grew to 62 deaths. We had a whiteboard there with no names on, and at the end of the inquiry, the whiteboard was totally full. And it was like, oh, my God. With new witness testimony, this film tells the inside story of how he got away with murder for over 25 years. They thought it was obscene that we should be questioning anything to do with Shipman. A serial killer hiding in plain sight Shipman groomed a community. People to this day still think that he was the best doctor ever. And preyed on the most vulnerable. I just thought, oh my goodness, you know, maybe he killed my mum as well. Into a house, rolled the sleeve up, administered morphine, killed her, and you were covering up what you were doing. People do die suddenly, of old age. They just wear out. We expose the scale of Shipman's drug addiction that nearly saw him struck off the medical register. The chairman says he doesn't think he's a danger to the public, so he's not going to strike him off. And a nurse, in her first interview, 
reveals how his killing spree began as a junior doctor on the hospital wards. One night we had three deaths. We just went from room to room and the patient had died. For the first time, detectives at the heart of the case explain the tactics they used to bring the man they called Dr. Death to justice and the emotional toll it had on them. I can remember sat at home one night with the wife and I just broke down in tears. I'm just sick of all this death and destruction. On the 7th of September, 1998, Harold Shipman, a trusted family doctor from the small town of Hyde near Manchester, was arrested for the murder of one of his elderly patients. Waiting to interview Shipman were two young detectives, John Walker and Mark Denham. This is the first time that Mark Denham has spoken publicly about coming face to face with Britain's most infamous killer. For me at that time, it was quite a, a big thing because I was a fairly young detective. I'd only been a detective less than a couple of years. And to be chosen to do the interviews was, um, it was great for me. I can picture the room. I can remember where I was sitting and John was at the side and then uh, his legal representative and he was there. Time presently is 1.33 p.m. on Monday the 7th of September 1998. The first of the tape, could you tell me for me, please? Harold Frederick Shipman. He wasn't a scary person or anything like that. It was just his arrogance, sort of, huh, pushing me aside a little bit, you know. And perhaps I've made clear what ha happened when Mrs. Grundy asked me to witness the will. Britain's Remember those phones? The murder inquiry <laughs> started six weeks earlier with now, I a want, phone call about I want a you, fraud. I want you to think about this for a minute, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stop it very much during this video because I you know somebody said to me last last week stop stopping it so much we like watching the video oh, okay. <laughs> so I said okay I'll, I won't do it very much but uh, try to comprehend this you've been a cop for a couple of years. And you're going into this room and interviewing this guy that you know, you know he's killed all these people and more. Mm. And you're sitting down with this guy like, I don't know about you. And I know cops are trained for these certain moments and stuff like that. They're always trained for this stuff. But you have to be nervous. Yeah. You have to be nervous sitting in front of this guy, especially a new cop that's only been in doing this for two years. Like... I, I when I saw that I go I can't even imagine sitting down in the room with somebody who you know has killed all these people and you know not being nervous in some way it's just I think it's I it's fascinating to me yeah I got a telephone call telling me about the fact that there had been some suspicions around a will uh, which had been written for a woman called Kathleen Grundy Kathleen Grundy was a former mayor of Hyde. She had died a month earlier. Her will set alarm bells ringing in the mind of her daughter, Angela Woodruff, a solicitor. Angela Woodruff was really concerned that there was something not right about the circumstances surrounding 
this will about how it had turned up. She didn't think that it was her mother's wishes at all, and she wanted it investigated. One of the things that's talked about in the will is about leaving my house to my doctor. Well, Kathleen Grundy actually owned two properties, so if she was writing her own will, she would have been talking about leaving my two houses, which indicated that it hadn't been written by Kathleen Grundy. The doctor named in the will was Kathleen Grundy's GP, Harold Frederick Shipman. I sent officers to get search warrants for Dr Shipman's surgery. Dr Shipman used to conduct a surgery on a Saturday morning and we waited till he was locking up and then went to execute the warrant. The search of Shipman's surgery would blow the case wide open. When they started the search, Dr Shipman said, you'll need this. Mrs Grundy used to borrow it from time to time and that was the typewriter. <laughs> The typewriter was examined along with the will by the handwriting experts, and they were able to say that that typewriter has typed that will. One of the keys didn't give the right impression, which is really a godsend in a, an inquiry where you're wanting to gather forensic evidence to show that that typewriter made that document. So that's probably what he got sworn three for, right? Not the prescription. Well, the forensic will examined and found to be a forgery. Do you have any comments to make about that? No, I've got no comment to make. He's asked a number of direct questions about it, which he deals with very simply and straightforwardly just by saying no. The letters and the will were all typed on your typewriter. Can you account for that? No. He was quite comfortable in his own mind that he could tough it out simply by denying everything. This is the typewriter that's kept in your surgery. This is a typewriter that was loaned out to Mrs Grundy on two or three occasions. You allege that Mrs Grundy borrowed the typewriter on two or three occasions. You're talking about a lady who was 81. You would imagine they had some difficulty in pumping a typewriter that high, but... I'm asking who could have used your typewriter to type that letter. No answer in that I don't know. This was a very strange story that was being told. And if it was true, it was likely that somebody was going to benefit from the forged will. And one of the uh, possibilities was that Mrs Grundy had been murdered. Can I put it directly to you, Doctor, that you forged this will from your own typewriter in the hope of benefiting from Mrs Grundy's estate? Is that a question or a statement? Put it to you that that's the case. That is not the case. Dr Shipman had also signed Kathleen Grundy's death certificate. He stated she died of natural causes. Would you agree that there's no medical history which would support Mrs Grundy's very sudden death? People do die suddenly, of old age. They just wear out. Despite the fact that Kathleen Grundy was an elderly woman, she was in fine physical shape. She'd been uh, out walking in the um, Peak District only a day or two before she died. So the way that we were going to establish whether Kathleen Grundy had died of natural causes was to exhume the body and have tests carried out by the pathologist. 
The exhumation of Kathleen Grundy would be the first ever carried out by Greater Manchester Police. With no witnesses, crime scene, or murder weapon, it was the only way they could prove she'd been murdered. We're at uh, Eyde Chapel, which is where uh, Kathleen Grundy was buried. This is the cemetery where the first exhumation took place. The weather was not really good at all. It was up past three in the morning. It was raining like this. And you could see the, the moon filtering through the clouds that were passing over through the trees. You do the best with tents and all that sort of thing to cover what you're doing. But the noise, can't do it quite, unfortunately. I can remember the, the old folks home there. There was old people at the windows crying. It wasn't nice at all. Something that I'm never going to forget that. It was horrendous. Police investigation was about to come under pressure. A local newspaper received a tip-off linking Shipman to Kathleen Grundy's death and the suspicion there could be many more. I came into town and I um, started to ask people if they knew anything about the case. And almost straight away I bumped into two old ladies and they said, oh, you mean Dr. Death, dear? And I said, pardon? And they said, oh, lots of old ladies have died with him. They say he's a good doctor, but you don't last. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I thought I was investigating one death. And it turned out that people in the town have been calling him Dr. Death as a joke for two years, because lots of elderly people died usually with him present. Sometime on the morning of, I think it was the 17th of August, I got a phone call from the press office saying that they'd had an inquiry from the Manchester Evening News and that from the detail that they were relating, they had pretty much the whole story. Michaela identified other female patients of Shipman whose deaths were suspicious. The police understandably were not happy that we'd um, uncovered this story quite quickly. At the same time, because it appeared in the Manchester Evening News, dozens and dozens of families in town came forward to say that is exactly what happened to my mother. Michaela's front-page story became national news. TV crews descended on Dr. Shipman's surgery. And I'm sure you've had enough time to take a decent photograph. Been, uh, is, is it possible for you just to Thank say you. anything at back all? into surgery to do my surgery. But you have said you have nothing Anxious to families demanded answers from the police. It left us in a, a bit of a difficult situation. Thank you, Doctor. It was unfair to expect those family members to speculate for a period of time and for them to hear from the press 
about which deaths happened to be on this list, so I had to send officers out to see those families. Within a matter of days, the police were overwhelmed as new victims emerged. I think there was something like three or four on one street that had died, and that we went back to investigate his potential murders. It beggared belief, it really did. Well, we're just going into Hyde now, into the town centre. It's a working class town, population probably around about 35, 40,000 people on the outskirts of, uh, of Manchester. This is where Dr Shipman's victims lived, worked. Uh, many of them had grown up uh, here as well. In 1998, the revelation that a local GP, Harold Shipman, could be killing his elderly patients had become national news. The people of Hyde were beginning to ask questions that no one should ever have to ask. I must have been watching television and I just heard a Dr Shipman and I wasn't at that time really familiar but it kind of rang a bell. So I rang Jean and said, wasn't that my mother's doctor? I just thought, Oh my goodness, you know, maybe he killed my mum as well. Perhaps I should have a word with the police when I get home. But I was no sooner back than the police contacted me. No, I mean, things were different then. You didn't just snap everything on your phone. Well, you took pictures when you were on your holidays and then you'd only take pictures of your mum and dad when you got back just to use the end of the film up, really. She was bubbly, sociable, outgoing, liked talking to people. She believed that you should smile at everybody that was walking along the street, as she did. Unfailingly positive, definitely, yeah. We'd look on the bright side of things all the time. When the detectives were questioning me, they would ask me various questions, and every time I answered, they would look at each other and nod. And then they would say to me, yeah, yeah, and, you know, yes, it's, it followed exactly the same pattern as all the other ones. So that was when I thought, well, yes. As these early inquiries started, we perhaps thought Kathleen Grundy and perhaps one or two others, we couldn't have envisaged how it would all turn out, really. To start off with, we were obviously investigating one death, the death of Kathleen Grundy. Within a couple of weeks, that grew to 17 deaths. And again, within a very short period of time, it had grown to 62 deaths. We had a whiteboard there with no names on, and at the end of the inquiry, the whiteboard was totally full. You couldn't fit any more on, we had to put extensions on. And it was like, oh my God. I personally had never worked on anything like that before in my life. I'd worked on lots and lots of murders, but nothing like Shipman had ever happened. You know, it was just, it was massive. There was something like three or four on one street that had died, and that we went back to investigate his potential murders. But it, it was it beggared belief, it really did. 
You'd speak to people and say, well, how did the doctor tell you about the death of your mother? And they say, well, actually, he, w he was actually quite abrupt. I was in bed, actually. My husband came and woke me up and said that Dr Shipman had been on the phone to him and that my mum had died. And I was... I was just in total disbelief. The word Shipman had actually used to my husband was, I'm at Irene Berry's house and uh, she's not very well. And he said, well, how bad is she? And he said, well, how bad can it get? The list of potential victims was growing by the day. The hard evidence of Shipman's murderous method was buried in the cemeteries of Hyde. In pitch darkness, a procession of police vehicles entered the cemetery at Hyde near Manchester. Just before 4 a.m., the time chosen for maximum sensitivity, the digging began. The area around the grave was screened off as detectives exhumed another body. The police had to exhume another 11 bodies. It was very, very moving, very sad. Knowing in your heart of heart, well, would I want my mother to be exhumed? And the answer is no, you wouldn't. We were digging the grave back up to do more tests on the mother that they've been grieving for for five years. So it was opening the wounds again. They would be grieving again, the same as they were the first time round. Back in 1998, there was a very different attitude towards the medical profession. Few ever questioned their doctor. The people of Hyde were finding it hard to accept that their respected GP could be a murderer. Detectives were facing widespread resistance. Hey, missus, you all right? Which was getting in the way of their investigation. Hello, girls. You just think how many people thought we'd made it up, that oh, it yeah. was a pack of lies. They thought the world of him. But why? His patients thought he was God's gift. We were met by some who were really aggressive. How dare we come and suggest something about Shipman? Because he was their doctor, they thought he'd done a fabulous job with their parent. They thought it was obscene that we should be questioning anything to do with Shipman. Nobody felt that they could speak against him. He, he was this well, invincible well, man who trusted. As we know ourselves from the reaction from people that we he, met. He obviously thought he was invincible. He was an arrogant bastard, without a doubt. People to this day still think that he was the, the best doctor ever. My colleague and I went to one house and we were physically frog-marched off the premises. You know, they weren't happy about us being there at all. Dr Shipman's surgery was on Market Street in the centre of Hyde. Previously, he'd been part of a group practice, but here, 
He was on his own with his patients, which was just the way he liked it. Shipman was really popular, and when he went single-handed, he took 3,000 patients with him, and there was a waiting list. He looked after a lot of families, a lot of different generations within those families, but the ones who really liked him were the older generation. He had a lot of time for them. He was happy to make home visits, and that was a big deal to that generation. Um, and they would tidy up before the doctor came and even buy him Christmas presents to say thank you for all that he did for them. But in fact, he was actually grooming the community, and, and that's what makes it such a terrible betrayal. Four weeks after Kathleen Grundy's body had been exhumed, forensic tests revealed lethal levels of the painkiller diamorphine. It was the evidence the police needed. I'm there to interview that bloke to the best of my abilities with what evidence I've got. But then a jigsaw comes together, doesn't it? The evidence was there, so as far as I'm concerned, that's enough. I'll quote forensic scientist who said to us, her death is consistent with the use or administration of a significant quantity of morphine or diamorphine, and some of the values have been seen in fatalities. Drowning under the weight of evidence, Shipman even tried to suggest that Kathleen Grundy had taken the lethal dose herself. I wondered very seriously whether this lady was taking drugs other than which I prescribed. It's seriously suggested that Mrs. Grundy a well-respected lady has inflicted fatal overdose upon herself. Is it, are you really suggesting that to us? No, I'm not suggesting story. anything. I'm just telling you my fears and worries of this lady uh, at that time. When it came back that she got this massive diamorphine within the body, we knew that we were dealing with a murder. I suggest to you that you have injected Mrs. Grundy, with a fatal overdose of morphine that brought about her death? No. Britain's most prolific serial killer, Harold Shipman, started his career as a GP in the small Yorkshire market town of Todmorden in 1974. Shirley Horsfall was a close family friend of Shipman and his wife, Primrose. I grew up in that house and the Shipmans lived in the fourth semi-along. Fred and Primrose made a, a good couple who was very friendly, very caring. They used to come and see us if we were poorly at the house rather than have to go to the surgery. Everybody liked him. Good sense of humour. We'd share a laugh and a joke with everyone. He was very sociable. Everybody knew everyone else. We used to say had little get-togethers in each other's houses. A good friend and a good neighbour. They seemed a matched couple rather than the picture that's been painted of Fred being a completely dominant, sort of almost Victorian, you know, sort of do as I say. Certainly that is not the real picture of that family. Shirley, like everyone else, did not know that Shipman had already begun his killing spree but he was careful choosing who to kill and who to care for. It was at one of our sort of get-togethers of the family that Fred said, I don't think your mum's very well. 
And it did turn out that she was terminally ill. He picked up on my mum's illness and made sure she was looked after. He had perfect opportunity as her GP to kill her. And he didn't. You know, he obviously chose not to. He was very concerned about her and got her the, you know, the best treatment that he could, which again makes it hard to believe that he didn't look after other people's mums. But in 1975, Shipman nearly lost his job as a doctor. As his addiction to murder grew, so did another addiction, drugs. A local detective arrested him for forging prescriptions and illegal possession. There you go. This That's is the first the time George McKeating has spoken on camera. I went to see Shipman, and there were track marks down both his arms. And I said, well, why were we using it? He says, well, just stress originally, but then I got, I got sort of got hooked on it, and I, I was using more and more. We have obtained Shipman's original police statement. In it, he confesses he's an addict and says that he has no future intention to return to general practice. George McKeating went to give evidence to the doctor's governing body, the General Medical Council. He fully expected Shipman to be sacked. I was sat with my briefcase, waiting to be called, and this guy came through and he said, oh, it's finished. Just like that, I says, well, it's finished. He says, oh, it's finished. The chairman says he doesn't think he's a danger to the public, so he's not going to strike him off. Wow. I was a bit flabbergasted, to say the least. Wow, 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 wow. wow. In my experience, was addicts great in the 70s. very rarely rehabilitated. <laughs> right? And I thought, I'm going to hear about this guy again. Shipman was fined just £600 and sent to rehab. The following summer, in 1977, he reappeared 30 miles away in Hyde. He moved there with Primrose and their four children, and quickly rebuilt his reputation as a trustworthy doctor. In 1982, his credibility beyond question, Shipman even appeared in a TV documentary on mental illness. In the past, if a patient had got a mental illness that required admission to hospital, the patient was formally admitted, undressed, and placed in bed. Shipman's nerve is startling, given that he was already killing at will. And was treated as though they had a physical illness. Under the radar and above suspicion, a serial killer hiding in plain sight. It was this brash Dr. Shipman who showed up at Ashton Underline Police Station for his first interview with detectives over the death of Kathleen Grundy. And when he did, Chris Gleave of the Manchester Evening News was there at a distance with his camera. I'd had a tip off that Dr. Shipman was going to be arriving at Ashton Police Station. He stood outside the police station for about five or ten minutes and then he, he proceeded to walk the terrace streets behind the police station. And I was at the end of every street with a long lens photographing him with his solicitor. Eventually he saw me and walked over to me quite quickly over the road and said, is that what you want? Is that what you want? And uh, he just gave me an awful look. His solicitor led him away. And then 
went into the police station, they were the last photographs of him. Wow. Shipman was convinced he could get away with murder. He had killed his patients when they were alone, and as a doctor, there was nothing he couldn't explain away. But it was this arrogance that the police planned to use against him. When he turned up at the police station, I'd arranged for one of the detective inspectors to book him in at the custody office. He would then be handed over to more junior officers, a detective sergeant and a detective constable, who would conduct the interviews. I wanted to give the impression to him that we were pampering to his ego, then to wrong foot him. This man does not want to be spoken to by a DC and a DS. He wants the top man there, Mr. Possels, interviewing him, and he's not going to get it. Lured into a false sense of security, detectives then hit Shipman with hard evidence. An examination of his computer revealed he had tampered with the medical records of patient Winifred Meller, creating a false history of heart disease to cover up her murder. You attended the house at three o'clock, and that's when you murdered this lady. You went back to the surgery and immediately started altering this lady's medical records. And we can prove that only minutes after three o'clock on that date, you were fabricating that false medical history for this woman. You tell me why you needed to do that. There's no answer. Well, there is. There's a very clear answer. Because you've been to a house, rolled the sleeve up, administered morphine, killed her, and you were covering up what you were doing. That's what happened, isn't it, Doctor? No. He thought he could control it. But when things got bad, he didn't control it, because he just shut up. He just went silent. It all became overwhelming for him, and he just stopped answering. Can we have a consultation at this stage, please? Certainly. The time now by my watch is 17, 12 hours, and we'll switch off the tape. He couldn't cope with it. His mind couldn't cope with it. And when he was taken back to the cell, he broke down. He pretty much collapsed. Shipman was cornered. But his breakdown meant the police had to stop questioning him. They called in one of Britain's leading forensic psychiatrists. I was in Wakefield very short journey across the Pennines to Manchester. Manchester police phoned me because they were puzzled by the behaviour and what it meant. Well, I was taken down to a room where he was and we sat down together. I started, as I often do, by asking how he wished to be addressed and he said, call me Fred. Bit of a Pandora moment, really. I haven't opened this box for 15 years. It's, uh, it's the, um, it's my report on Dr. Shipman. I recorded there was a distinct air of tension and presence 
about him? Mostly coming from a sense of suppressed paranoid hostility. He sort of radiated this sense of hostility. But there was no remorse, really, for what he'd done. He was kind of hollowed out as a man, that there was nothing inside. I was pretty convinced that he would never confess. Dr. Badcock declared Shipman was mentally fit and the police could resume questioning, but Shipman refused to cooperate with the police in any way. Uh, I think we've already been through the uh, point of you refusing to give us your name and full date of birth. In a later yeah, interview, Shipman even turned his back on uh, detectives. So if we can start off uh, just by <coughs> going through um, all the deaths, Dr. Shipman, and the first one I'd like to speak to you about is the death of a, a lady by the name of Lily Crossley. I have here a photograph of Lily Crossley, if you'd like to look at that. Just for the benefit of the tape, Dr. Shipman's eyes are closed, and we didn't look at the photograph at all. But the police didn't require Shipman's cooperation. They had evidence to charge him with 15 counts of murder. I'm surprised he didn't call a lawyer well, at this point. I know, I was about to say, like, he didn't yeah. even call a lawyer. Yeah. Dr. Harold Shipman's trial began on the 11th of October, 1999. The 54-year-old GP arrived at court, hidden behind the blacked-out windows of a police van. Dr. Shipman is accused of murdering 15 women between 1995 and 1998. In the public gallery, his wife Primrose listened intently as the jury were told to rely only on the evidence and not to speculate. It was difficult sitting in court. That's all it was, was a bombardment of evidence against him and he didn't, he didn't answer to it. Shirley Horsfall was sitting in a packed public gallery. A few feet away was court artist Priscilla Coleman. Harold Shipman always seemed annoyed with everyone else. He just looked very insulted that anyone would ever dream that he would be the type of person to do that. So he was angry and pretty fierce. In contrast well to Primrose, who always seemed quite cheery, funnily enough. I was crumbling at court, true. let alone Primrose. Yeah. I was upset because Fred was in court and been charged with all these atrocities. And, but she was much better, more composed than I was. I'm trying to sum her personality Excellent. up. I mean, she was just... A big sort of bubbly, outgoing, nothing phased her and very robust. Primrose was never arrested by the police and knew nothing about her husband's secret life as a serial killer. I'd really love to think that she didn't know anything about it I'd, and I, I probably believe that she didn't. The trial lasted 57 days. Shipman was found guilty of 15 murders, including Kathleen Grundy and Winifred Mellor. The police knew Shipman was responsible for many more. The day after his conviction, a public inquiry was launched in Manchester to uncover the true scale of his crimes. 
Shipman was moved between prisons and ended up at Wakefield. Ray Rowett was the head of operations there and has prison reports from the time. Well, yes. the various statements from staff, from psychologists, from different people, <laughs> he can be both condescending and arrogant, obnoxious, solitary. And the report further states that Mr. Shipman is in total denial of his crime. For the first time, we can reveal that prison staff feared Shipman was attempting to carry on his killing spree behind bars. Staff thought that prisoners were going to him and he was holding clinics within the cell. We had two prisoners who took ill and ended up in intensive care unit. Oh, wow. The inmates had overdosed on black market prescription drugs. It looked as though they had been talking to Shipman. We obviously then thought that he was probably changing his modus operandi and that he could probably have had a hand in those two going to intensive care. The two prisoners refused to cooperate in an internal investigation. And Shipman refused to cooperate in the ongoing public inquiry. But the inquiry didn't need his help. It investigated the deaths of nearly 900 of Shipman's patients in Hyde and Todmorden and came to an astonishing conclusion. The way in which Shipman could kill, face the relatives and walk away unsuspected would have been dismissed as fanciful if it had been described in a work of fiction. The figure of 215 killings may not represent the true total. Shipman remained silent and has never revealed why he murdered so many people. But he still had one last killing to do before he was finished. Can't stop this guy. Worked in a no. prison textile shop. And the textile shop obviously had remnants of cloth and he was secreting remnants of which he made a noose. He was found kneeling on the pipe with a ligature around his neck facing outwards. He timed his suicide to best effect. Yeah. Shipman told me on numerous occasions that when his pension was sorted out, yes, he, he would did. kill himself. <laughs> I distinctly remember him saying to me on one occasion, I'm a doctor, I know where to do it. His death before retirement age meant his wife received his full pension and a £100,000 lump sum. Wow. His whole purpose was to make sure that his wife was looked after financially. And that's, that's exactly what happened. So you talk about control, you can't have no more control than that. Shipman's suicide in January 2004 sparked more revelations about the number of people he had killed. The day after his suicide, there was an article in the newspaper. It was like a resume of Dr. Harold Shipman. And then I just thought, I work with him. 
I actually felt as if I'd just run into a brick wall. It just floored me. The mention of Pontefract General Infirmary triggered a memory for Sandra Whitehead. She realised she had worked there with the newly qualified Dr Shipman in 1972. He was always called Fred at the hospital, not Harold. And he was always in a hurry. His white coat was never buttoned up. And the speed that he went down the corridor, it was always flailing at the back of him like wings. And I can remember these injection packs many a time. He would just leave on the bedside locker. For 30 years, Sandra had been haunted by one particular night shift with Shipman. One night, we had three deaths. We just went from room to room, and the patient had died. Just didn't seem any reason. They were ill, but they didn't look on death's door. It just seemed a high proportion of deaths out of a 32-bedded ward. Just 18 years old, Sandra didn't report her concerns about the deaths, or Dr. Shipman. I think I was just too young, too naive. I didn't have the knowledge and experience to maybe turn around and see senior management and say, I'm not happy about this. The information that Sandra provided led the public inquiry to investigate Shipman's time at Pontefract General. It uncovered further victims. It's been more than a decade since Harold Shipman's death, and most of the detectives who helped put him behind bars have retired. But the investigation casts a long shadow. If you had to say which job uh, do you remember, I think we would all agree the one job that we think about the most is the Shipman job. It was quite unique to have this mass-murdering doctor I don't think anybody even now can fully appreciate how horrible this man was. I tend to put things in boxes, me, and shut the lid on them. That's certainly a massive box for me where we had to put the lid on. He's playing God. He was playing God with those lives. The relatives trusted Dr Shipman. They wouldn't have anything bad said about him. They trusted him, and that trust had been totally and utterly obliterated by this man. I wouldn't call a doctor by this man. You just think, what an awful, evil man. I can remember about nine months after he was convicted, sat at home one night with the wife, and I just broke down in tears. And Joyce said, what's the matter? I said, I'm just sick of all this death and destruction. When he comes up, and he comes up regular, my missus says, will we ever be free of this man? And I think the answer is no. Jean and Joan's mum, Irene Berry, was officially listed by the public inquiry as having been unlawfully killed by Shipman. At the time that she died, I mean, I was working abroad and bringing up my son. I didn't 
have as much time to spend with her as I would have now. It's just sad that I can't use this time that I've got now with her. It sort of runs as a parallel along the side of your life all the time. Every now and again, you know, you bump into it. And, you know, especially at times talking about it like this, you can maybe go for months on end and just carry on with your life and then something happens and you bump into it again. Wow. Right there. Wow, that wow, wow, wow. Yeah. yeah How in the world? It's, it's, you know what? I think, uh, I think, uh, you, because your show today was a little bit delayed. Um, I don't Probably think it's my internet. internet. I think it's StreamYard that's uh, having problems. And, uh, no, because there's other shows that have been delayed too. So I think it's StreamYard. But uh, um, uh, I think the final number. What they came up with was two hundred and around two hundred and fifty, if not more. That, that uh, is they know crazy. about. Um, this was this was a man who was killing for over twenty five years, and uh, it's just crazy. And then three in one night. Um, wow, yeah. wow! I'm I'm blown away by this guy. I've seen I, obviously I know. I've seen this uh, another video like this, and it's just it just blew me away. And I I really wanted to do this one. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I said at the beginning of the show. This guy should be number one, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, because guess, he's uh, a doctor. Prove I I guess they can only prove fifteen. Yeah. 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 And a well respected doctor. Yeah, I guess. But. Uh, with and amongst some people, but you know, even at the beginning of this, they were, you know, they were even calling him Doctor Death because people were dying around him no. uh, constantly. So uh, yeah, you know who this uh, reminds me uh, of? This reminds me of that was a real. This reminds real me of Doctor Kevorkian. You know, Doctor Kevorkian, the guy in the U.S. who yeah. drove around, or was yeah, it U.S. He, or was it Canada? And he drove around in his van, and he was doing no, it was U- suicide. He was Oh, it was U.S., yeah, and he was doing assisted suicides, yeah. It kind of reminds me of something like along those lines, only this guy was not doing assisted suicides. He was just killing people, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they, uh, Shannon, they never actually got an answer on why he was doing this. I guess we can all speculate on why he was doing this. I think in some way it was mercy for him. Uh, they were, they were going to be dying soon anyways, so he just helped them. I also think, too, with them writing the wills out, with him writing the wills out, I think he was getting property from the people. And I think he was using that property as an asset to make money with. So I think it was both maybe mercy, but on top of it, I think it was also to steal some assets. Yeah. Um, and I agree with that also, Shannon. I think it was power. He had power over these people. 
Yep. Um, he knew he had power. Um, and I think, I think that's pretty, I think, I think that's pretty evident when we were watching the video because there were some people that he didn't kill because he knew that they were already dying. Yeah. So that's why I think a lot of it is a mercy, a mercy kill, to be honest, in his head. But yeah. uh, who knows? Un unfortunately, unfortunately, we'll never know because yeah. of him killing himself in jail. I, You know what? To be honest, I'd forgotten about that, that he killed himself in jail uh, for his wife to get uh, his uh, his money. And uh, which is really, really unfortunate. But uh, um, because honestly and, you know, it's not her fault. I get it. Uh, but that's, what's your opinion about that? Like, do you think she should have gotten that? I, that's a tough one. That's a real uh, tough one to answer because really yeah. at the end of the day, it wasn't her fault at all, obviously. But at the same time, she was married to a man who was a serial killer. And yeah, should the benefits be given out? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. It's kind of a fine line. I wonder what his mother looks like. Um, well, I think there is be. pictures. I th there is pictures of, yeah, there is pictures of his family on uh, his parents. On you can find them on the web, on the internet. You can find his picture of his parents. And yeah, it was funny you made that comment earlier. His wife was definitely, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it at that. And that right there was... The yeah, we'll leave show. it at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right there. And Chan is right. Prim Primrose shouldn't have gotten a dime. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a tough call. It really, really is on that one. Because if she didn't know, it really wasn't her fault. But I don't know. I got... Uh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised this guy wasn't watched a little bit more. Um, because... I would, I would have to say, I would have to say this guy, there was a really, really good chance this guy was going to kill himself in jail. And I'm yeah. surprised they didn't watch him a lot more. Yeah, of course. And so, it's amazing. That uh, they because now, you know, because it's, because unfortunately now that all these families don't have the answers on why he did it. Yep. You know, it's, uh, there's that void of not knowing. Um, yep. I think any family that goes through a tragedy like this, they'd like to at least know why, you know, and I would like to know why if it was one of my family members on why he did it. But I, I think I think a lot of it, it's ego. It was power. It was him thinking he obviously could get away with it. And uh, and, you know, a mercy. All mixed in one. But, you know, there's other videos where you actually, when he's being questioned, you actually see him stand up, turn around, and uh, turn the chair around and sit down and wasn't paying attention to them at all. <laughs> like, this guy was, like, this guy was, the, you know, the epitome of, of nuts, of crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could just see someone pick up a chair, yeah. turn it around, and sit the opposite way. Like, I'm not talking to any of you. Like, that would be hilarious. If I was the cops, I would have been like, what do you do? Like, <laughs> what, what, what do we even say now? You know? Yeah, yeah. But by that time, like they said in the video or the documentary, they already had proof that he had yeah. done it. And so yeah. it was just a matter of 
going through the steps and the procedures of, you know, finally getting this guy off the streets and where he belongs in jail. And to be honest, he got a, he got away easy. He yeah. got away easy, you know, and I'm not one of those people that, you know, to what's a two rights don't make it wrong or two yeah. wrongs don't make it right or something yeah. like that. Um, I think he, to be perfectly honest, it's one of those times which, which I believe that somebody should have taken care of him in jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not in favor of that, but sometimes. <laughs> sometimes yeah, you necessary. know, there's a lot of inmates that I no. think that that should happen to personally, but you know, <laughs> when God is ready, God will strike, right? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I'm gonna sneeze. Oh. You have anything oh. else left to say, oh, or can here. I say our closing anyway. line? No, other than that, uh, other than that, um, I want to say uh, thank you for everybody that came into the room. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, on to the next case next week, and um, I'm sure it'll be a good one. I've got some. It'll be another crazy. Too, so, yeah, but it'll we definitely have to crazy. get somebody up to interview soon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because I love doing these documentaries, but I'd love to get more people up that are involved in involved in this kind of type of work and interviewing yeah. them and getting their perspective on all these types of cases. You know, I'm still yeah. I would I'm still trying to look for a profiler and uh, see if something. Oh, yeah. up. But unfortunately, you know, that's difficult. They really can't talk about it. Right. But yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. This was a good one. I like this one. And uh, I knew about this one. I've known about this one for years. So I was, I was really excited to play this one. Not, yeah. don't get me wrong. Excited to play. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, I know, what you, mean. I know what you mean. This. Did, you, be, did you get a wrong, chance to look? Wrong the choice person? of words, I guess. Did you get a chance to look at the person I told you about? Albert? Albert I am. Fish? I am. But I'll be honest. I'm really, yeah, I am. I, I did. But I'm I'm really interested in about the Pedro Lopez one. To be yeah, honest. the Pedro Lopez one's not. Yeah, yeah, a retired profiler that would be cool. Yes, we need to find ourselves a retired profiler. Oh, we will. We will. What do you think of the chances of getting an FBI agent up on the a retired FBI agent? It's. I mean, it's possible. It's possible. I think we could do it. Yeah. 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 I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can find some on Facebook somewhere. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, other than that, folks, uh, I really appreciate coming in the room. And uh, oh, there you go. Tanner. He might know. Tanner, one. Give us a name. Oh. Reach out for us. Yes. Come on, Tanner. Yeah. There you go. Awesome. An awesome show, you know, by the I don't way. Know if, if you, you guys haven't it, seen, if you guys haven't seen Tanner's show, check out his show on Parapost Network. It is an awesome show, one hundred percent. Yeah, and also check out AJ's show today. He had Tony Ferguson on his show, and yes. he showed a few clips of uh, some investigations. And that one, where it was from a distance, and you can actually see a full figure of a of a man. Yeah. It was creepy. That right? one was cool. That one was yeah. really, really super cool. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you definitely want to check out that show. Uh, but yeah, Tanner has a great show on Wednesday night. So you want to check him out. Uh, we have a lot of great shows. We do. We do. We have too many. Yeah. Yeah. 
and again, no, we don't have enough yet. No, well, we don't you're right. We, we don't, don't have, have enough. enough yet, but we do have a lot. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we do have a lot, and there's a lot more coming. So, yes, exactly. Other well, than that, anyway, uh, I want to say thank you for everybody coming in the room. Yes, and, thank you so uh, much. Yeah, there is a delay, a big delay, because I'm talking and you're talking. Your mouth is moving, and then it's it. I hear you three seconds later. Ah. Uh. This podcast board. <laughs> Anyhow, I want to thank again. I want to thank everybody that came in the room and made comments. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this. We'll definitely see you next week with another case. And uh, we're already going on case seven. I know. That is wild, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's going to be great. AJ? Not yeah. much. I just want to say thank AJ, you to everybody. Yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody who uh, stopped in and watched this with us. We really appreciate all the support. And other than that, this is Crime Documentaries, and this is Case Closed.